All right, if you'll open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. <clears throat> and if you're following along in the outlines, we did start this outline uh, last Wednesday. Uh, it's the one entitled, Behold Rachel. I know I've worked a little bit ahead, uh, confused my wife, so I'm sure I've confused a few others. But uh, we're at the bottom of the second piece of paper. We're going to begin by looking at verses 20 through 24 of Genesis 29. And we'll go ahead and start there. Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him for a few days the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, made a feast, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her, and Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Zilpah, his maid for an handmaid. And that's the text that I really want to start with tonight. And um, there are times as a preacher when you're behind a pulpit and standing in front of folks that you'll interchange names. And I know uh, probably my family's favorite time is every time I teach on Noah or Moses, I flip them. And I'll be in a completely different place in the Bible, and I'll say Moses when I met Noah. It's Moses building the ark, and Noah's leading folks out of Egypt, and none of that's accurate. But I did not interchange Rachel and Leah here. At the beginning in verse 20, Jacob asked for Rachel. That's who he served for. And at the end there in verse 24, uh, Laban gives uh, Leah and gives Leah a handmaid. So this is what the scripture says. So the first thing we want to point out for just this portion of the text, and it's uh, it's really the only point that I have to make before we jump back into some... Uh, well, I, I suppose there's four different things, I guess, that I've got here. The first thing is, is this a joke on Jacob? And I just want to point out that irony abounds as this younger brother who once usurped his elder brother is being duped into going unto the elder daughter rather than the younger. Uh, some might say this poetic justice. I know quite a few commentaries that I've read in the last few weeks call it uh, justice of God, uh, that this is the Lord tormenting Jacob or punishing Jacob, however they want to phrase it, for what Jacob did with Isaac. But what happened in the house of Isaac is what the Lord had ordained to happen. The younger did usurp the older. The younger did uh, take this blessing, have this blessing. It wasn't the way or the method that we would uh, we acknowledged when we were going through it that the Lord would have ordained for it to happen, but exactly the outcome the Lord said would happen when he talked to Re uh, Rebecca, when he answered her prayer, is exactly what did happen. But as I said, some commentators have written that this is a judgment or a punishment of the Lord for what had happened with Isaac and Esau. And I can't say for certain that that's not the case. But I would encourage you to not jump to such uses of the concept of this is a judgment from God for this thing or that thing. Uh, have, we, uh, have we not so soon forgotten Job, for example? The Lord will take care of issuing judgment as he sees fit. And he'll handle these things in his own time. But for us to look at this situation and say that this is a judgment of God would be no different than us looking at every situation and saying this is surely a judgment of God. This church had a time without a pastor. Was that a judgment of God? I don't believe that we can necessarily say that. We have a, a horrible precedent. Is that a judgment of God? Well, if it is, it's an efficient one. But we can keep on going. Uh, it was a cloudy day today. This must be a judgment of God. 
Well, sometimes the Lord needs a cloudy day to, to achieve some things that he's ordained to happen. Sometimes he needs bad leadership so folks know what good leadership looks like. And sometimes a person such as Jacob, as we started this set of notes, gets duped because Jacob didn't handle his business appropriately. He didn't handle business the way Abraham had uh, had done so with uh, with the cave, as we talked about. He didn't handle business as a as a, a man seeking God's will or praying even a little bit. So what happens here may or may not be a judgment or punishment of God, but I would encourage you not to jump to that conclusion. Where does it end? I guess is is the point there. As we've seen before, God has a specific justice, and that justice of God's cannot be ignored. So the second thing we need to look at then is what are the unanswered questions? There's not a ton of details regarding the feast that Laban throws here or the nuptial night. Uh, there's not a lot of details available to us, but it is possible that Leah was arrayed in Rachel-like clothing, as Dr. Henry Morris points out, uh, perhaps wearing her perfume and so on. Um, I feel like, again, I would hesitate to say that is the case. It may, it may be the case, but I'd hesitate to go that far because then we give Jacob more credit than maybe we should. This was a feast, after all. It is possible that Jacob went a little too far in his feasting, in his rejoicing, to the point where he couldn't have told if this was Rachel or Leah. Why would we immediately assume that Leah is the one trying to deceive someone? It's, it's laid out in Scripture that Laban is the one that puts this whole thing together. That this is Laban's plan. It's a tradition of man, according to Laban, that puts us in this position to begin with. Another unanswered question, where's Rachel? Where is Rachel when all of this is happening? Could we say that Rachel had something to do with it? Was the arrangement for Jacob's seven years of working for Rachel never discussed among these two sisters? Did they never know what it was that Daddy had planned for, for Jacob? Again, much like the last point, all we do know is that God permitted this to happen. And there's a reason behind everything that God has permitted to happen. And I think we'd be better served trying to find those reasons than to speculate as to our own. The third thing is ungrateful, unspoken, unled, <coughs> which is maybe the, the root of all of this. Ungrateful, unspoken, unled. This situation is not wonderful for Jacob. But again, he did not enter into this with prayer. He didn't ask for the Lord's leadership in this. He didn't consult God after the vision that he had even once. And, and we'll see by the end of this set of notes, the, the first time he mentions God is not in a pleasant way. He did not appear to be looking for the Lord in this situation, and it reads as though he was going to handle this part of his life on his own. Well, that's a, that's a dangerous situation to find yourself in. It's a dangerous situation to deceive yourself into thinking you've gotten so far by God's grace that you'll take it the rest of the way. There's only one direction that man can take things on his own, and that's down into worse calamities than you first started. In fact, as I'd mentioned, it's not until Laban's deceit is made most clear that Jacob seems once again to realize he needs God, and we'll see that in Genesis 31. Listen to his response, and this is the next time he mentions God. Listen to his response in Genesis 30, verse 2. This is towards his wife, Rachel, who's having distress over not having children. Jacob responds, am I in God's stead? Which later will lead Rachel to say in verse 6, God hath judged me. 
Again, ungrateful, unspoken, unled. We saw a lot of these, uh, not these exact scenarios, but a lot of similar things happened in Isaac's home. Unled, unspoken, ungrateful. Again, does God have the authority to address every sin in any time he so desires? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every sin that rests in our lives unrepented of. And that's what a sin does when it's unrepented of. It rests. It takes root, uh, and like a like a bacteria, it grows and it spreads like a vine, grabbing a hold of the limbs and choking the life out of everything it can get a hold of. Oh, that precious little sin, once experienced, once enjoyed. Uh, I think back to uh, Joshua, when the one took what he shouldn't have had his hands on. He couldn't even enjoy it. He took what he was told not to have and he buried it. And it cost him and his entire family a great deal of shame and then their lives. The question, however, is every consequence of man's bad decision-making a full judgment of God? It comes back around. Is every consequence of man's bad decision-making a full judgment of God? It's going to be awful disappointing to me tonight. I don't have answers for all the questions that I'm going to present. And that's one of them. Is every consequence of man or woman's bad decision-making a full judgment of God? I'd argue it's probably not a full judgment of God. It could be a judgment of God. It's certainly, as we said earlier, permitted of God. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us if we don't consult God in our decision-making and we don't put the Lord first and we don't consider what God has opened this door for, that it might lead to trouble. I don't know that it's a judgment any more than a natural consequence, a natural conclusion, a, a reaping of what has been sowed, so to speak. How often in our own lives has the Lord revealed his desire for us and the truth of our salvation only for us moments later to attempt to outrun him? Or to say, thanks God, I got this. I'll take it the rest of the way. Probably daily. Probably daily. We might pray together tonight for, uh, for, for abuse that's on our prayer request list. Or for Sister Jen's brothers who are going through job crisis and a healing from a hernia surgery. But tomorrow we'll eat breakfast, we'll get in the car, we'll drive to work, we'll go through our day, and we'll come home upset. Traffic was bad, we ran out of gas, work wasn't fun, it was too hot, too cold, as Steve and I were talking at the beginning of the night. And we're just generally unhappy. Why is that? Well, you prayed with the brethren the night before to the Lord, but you didn't pray over that breakfast. You didn't pray over that drive. You didn't pray over the, the key turn in the ignition. You didn't pray over the work day, praying that you'd be prepared, that your feet, this is part of the armor, folks, that your feet would be prepared and ready to deliver the gospel. Didn't pray over the drive home. Didn't pray over your usefulness and furthering the kingdom. And you're ending your day in disappointment. It's a way more dangerous thing to attempt to usurp God than to attempt to usurp Isaac. And this is what we saw back when we were looking at Isaac's home. And we read Proverbs 13, verses 13 through 16. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. 
Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. We uh, sing songs reminding us that we don't mourn as others do. We shouldn't be doing anything as others do. We shouldn't be approaching the work day or the breakfast table or a conversation with our significant others the same way that the world does. We are gods. You know, a, a true bond servant, a true servant, a true slave, they don't have the liberty to, to make all those decisions on their own. This is God's day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us seek first the will of the Lord. Everything else will fall into place. He cares for the lilies. He takes care of the birds. He himself, during his ministry, didn't even have a place to lay his head. And yet he was cared for. And yet all of these things took place as he had ordained for them too. The fourth thing that we see out of just this small portion is that Laban, as we, if you may recall from last Wednesday, we talked about the importance of contract law and witnesses. Laban understood. He brings in witnesses. Let, let me read this text again. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Witnesses for the contract here agreed upon. We should note here that Laban knew the value of witnesses in regard to contracts. By the end of the night, these men saw Leah and Jacob departing to consummate the marriage. They celebrated the entire evening this marriage of Jacob and Leah. So who would Jacob turn to the next day and say, I did not marry this woman? There would be no witnesses in his favor. The contract seemingly is closed, paid in full, you might say. He was very careful that all the men of the area witnessed the marriage. Having consummated the marriage, Jacob now could not back out. Which brings us to the next portion of text there in verse 25. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn fulfill her week. And we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, which is a reference to seven years. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel. And he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Laban is just giving gifts of all kinds of trouble to Jacob. But again... Uh, how much of this can we say honestly, truly, lies on Laban? Uh, it was a plan of Laban's, but maybe it was just a commitment of Laban's long ago to follow the traditions of man. The traditions of the land were to give the elder before the younger. Perhaps Rachel had been bitter all these years that she couldn't marry off. If they're anywhere near the, the age of 70, 77, now 80, uh, 84, like we believe Jacob to be, 
and Rachel is as fair as she's described, no doubt she's been very unhappy that Leah hasn't been married off, hasn't been given away, and therefore because of the tradition in the land, she too couldn't be. What we see here for Jacob, though, is a broken foundation. We see another household here straining under the duress of man's traditions. How fair is your home? How fair is your home as the world presses upon you your need to partake in man's traditions? I, I, I shake my head sometimes when folks say that, well, it's never been impressed upon me to take part in the world's traditions. Try walking away from some of them. You'll see those pressures. You'll see those tactics. Those in here who don't partake in Xmas, we see it for about five months every single year as we're enticed and shamed and pushed around. Partake in this thing. What's wrong with you? Everybody's doing it. And it's not just that. And that's a hot button for me, as you know. I jump to it quickly. But there's a lot of other things we do. Birthdays, for example. Don't see too many of those celebrated in the Bible either. There's a lot of things that we give uh, credence over to. So the next time that you do, the next time you give, uh, and, and it's coming in what? Seven days? Six days? Ask yourself, where did this come from? A real easy way to check men's, tradi men's traditions is to go to hallmark.com. And they'll tell you months in advance when the next tradition of man is coming. And they'll even point out to you what it is that you should do. Kay Jewelers has been shaming most men for weeks now. Get ready. Here comes Valentine's Day. Beloved, we've got plenty of warnings. And Jesus points out to the disciples, you can tell the change of the seasons, but can you really? Can you see the times for what they are? We continue to see bizarre things that we've never seen before. And a few hours goes by, a few days go by, and seemingly it's like nothing ever happened. A balloon or two strangely drifts over our nation. And we let it drift all the way over our nation and then shoot it down. What was that all about? You're not likely to ever know. The riddles of man, the riddles of Babylon, the riddles of Nimrod, the riddles of Rome. This ain't our home. That's not our God that deals in such confusion. He is allowing for us to see this world for what it truly is. And he is commanding by his holy scripture, come out from among them, be ye separate. Is there, is there really a danger to not coming out from among them? What if Jacob had left even six and a half years, six and three, six and seven eighths years into all of this? He'd have come out without a bride. Yeah, he'd have come out without two brides. And later, two more from those handmaids that we've just slyly foreshadowed into the story. But he ends up with 12 sons. The means surely justify the ends. No, beloved. No. Being holy, for I am holy, God says. Why would he say things like that and come out from among them and be ye separate and I will be a father unto you? Why does he say things like, Come unto me, ye who are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. If we are not to be heavily burdened by the things around us that we ought not to be involved with. The truth is we should be desirous of a rest. We should be seeking a rest. A perfect country. A place in which these toils and these strains and these restraints are finally removed. We talk all the time of what these teenagers are going to face. What maybe some of them are facing already in this world that they've inherited. It doesn't mean it's any easier for Clark and I. For Steve, for Sharon, for anyone at any age. You can't even turn on the radio without being enticed to some kind of lust. Some kind of anguish. Some kind of bitterness. We see, as I said, another broken foundation, another household straining under the duress of man's traditions. Laban's home was so given over to what was to be and not be done in his country that his children were even raised with the understanding that these traditions superseded God's law of what marriage was to be like. Think of that. To them, it seems totally natural that these two sisters will now share a husband and wait their entire lives, seemingly, for all of this to come together to honor the traditions of man. And in doing so, they dishonor God. And further dishonoring will come as we continue this study. All were under Adam. Better yet, at this point, all were under Noah. Do today's traditions of men also overrule that of the supreme ruler of the universe? Jacob was permitted and encouraged to leave his country and find a bride. These dangers were known to Abraham. Abraham gave strict instructions that Isaac was to not leave. Isaac was to not go into the lands of his fathers. He was not to go and seek after his own bride. And perhaps this is it. This is the reasoning. He will be deceived. He will be enticed. He will be abused. Jacob now finds himself with two wives. And soon, multiple concubines. This is not marriage as God had created it. Jacob bowed himself to Laban as a master over him. And what was kept and was kept longer as a result than he wanted to stay, and that's what the old preacher says sin will do: cost you more than you want to spend, keep you longer than you want to stay, and so on and so on. He bowed down to Jacob, or, or rather Laban. Jacob, in a sense, worships Laban. This is what I have to do to get Rachel, and he worships Rachel. Then I'll do it. This is what I have to do to get out of this pickle. Then I will do it. And maybe some of us are in that situation right now. Boy, I've got myself in a mess. What do I have to do? And the world says, spend a little more. Get further into debt. Take on this sin and that sin and that sin and it'll get better. And deeper and deeper we go. As the vines take our arms and hold them behind our back. As the vines clutch our very throat. Massaging words out of us that we don't mean and dragging us deeper and deeper and deeper. Yes, beloved, we are indeed 
heavy burdens, heavy laden, vexed continuously, just as Lot was. You don't need to take more from the world to get out of the mess you're in. You need to give it up. You need to repent. You need to come away from such things. Got yourself in a bad deal? Come to the Lord's house. Read his word. Read his promises. He's taken on the ugly with the cross at Calvary. He's conquered it, claimed it is finished. And then has said, there is now no condemnation. He's freed us from that sin debt. Freed us from the servitude of Laban. Even from the servitude of Isaac and Rebekah. We don't call them master any longer, or we shouldn't. How important is a foundation? Boy, if we don't know how to answer that question after the last five chapters. How important is a foundation? We'll see here that Satan sought to destroy Isaac and Jacob's homes systematically, without hesitation. See, for us, he, he is a, a prince of confusion. And this is how his working seems to be. But I think there's a side of Satan in his execution that is extremely organized. Because for 7,000 plus years, he's seen how we work. Yeah, I'll hit him with this, and that'll plant the seed. And then I'll hit him with this and make the seed seem attainable. Maybe even desirous. And then I'll hit him with this so that they really know, boy, that seed could be mine. I could have that seed and have this. This Christianity, this promise, this bride, whatever it might be. And then he just keeps going. So as we've been studying the promised seed, which is where we started in Genesis 1-1, as we got to Genesis 3, we saw a promised seed, a seed of deliverance, a seed that had to come, that men would be free of the curse. Well, Satan's been reading along with us. Satan, studying all of this out, when the reset button got hit with the flood, he says, well, it's got to come from Noah. Well, it's got to come from one of them sons. And then as Abraham begins to defy him, and I'm just, I'm just you know, reading the tea leaves, as the world would say here. As Abraham starts to trust the Lord and stop running to Egypt, stop lying about his wife being just his sister, Satan says, hmm. Well, maybe the promise is going to come from Abraham. The Lord did come down and go visit him there in the tent, after all. And as Sodom and Gomorrah burns to the ground, Lot loses his wife and his modesty. He says, well, it's not coming from his nephew. Mount Moriah happens, and I'm sure that got Satan's attention. He said, it's got to be this Isaac guy. And maybe I can't do much to him right here on this mountain. And maybe I can't do much to him at all because of that goat. You know, that sacrificial goat. But I can probably get into his home. I can make it so Isaac is not as passionate about what has been promised as he should be. And I'm guessing, like in the book of Job, which revealed there Satan has to go and present this to God in the council halls, and say, Isaac only believes in you because you protected him. Because of Mount Moriah. That's the only reason he has faith in you. Let me come after him for a bit. Let's see where his faith is. And so he does. 
And as the home of Isaac begins to quake like that 7.8 earthquake that happened in the last week, just one more thing that uh, is unusual that is happening in the world today. And Esau loses the promise as the, the house is shaking and, and Jacob claims it. And Rebekah comes in and says, you got to go to my brother Laban. you got to get out of here. Esau wants to kill you. I'm sure Satan says, where is he going? Where's Jacob going? And Esau's already a mess. I wonder if the promised seed's going to come from him. Then that latter vision happens. And the Lord Jesus' role is revealed unto Jacob. And Jacob should be on fire. Jacob should be pursuing after God's will for him like he'd never pursued before. And he sets up the rocks and he anoints them with a water anointing or a fluid anointing. And in a sense says, I'll be right back. And goes away for 20-some years. <laughs> Satan says, all right. Goes to the council halls and says, you know, I think Jacob only believes in you because you delivered him from Isaac's house. Why don't you let me come after him a little bit? Why don't you let me prove to you that these, these humans only believe in you because you protect them or because you bless them or because you give them good health, good wealth, good animal lots like we see with Job. So Jacob slaves away for seven years for the wrong woman and bows down to the feet of Laban and slaves away for another seven years for Rachel. And Satan says, I'd like to see a blessing come out of this. Satan says, you're, not, you're never going to get him back. He's mine. See, this, this isn't Abraham's story, beloved. This isn't Isaac's story, and this isn't Jacob's story. I don't want us to get confused because the rest of Genesis we're dealing with his 12 sons. This isn't Jacob's story. This is the story of the promised seed. This is quite literally the story of against all odds, against all rebellion, and it's full out rebellion, still is. God will still be praised, and he will still be victorious. This story is not about Jacob. These stories could be about me or you, and it would still come to the same conclusion. We aren't the heroes. God is. And if we overcome anything, it's by his hand, by his might. If we're to understand the passion that later we'll see David having for the Lord... Just as a, a ruddy young lad being uh, going up against Goliath, he was only able to do it because he'd seen God deliver him before. As you might recall, it's not David's story. David says, I'm but an instrument. If this army won't go against that giant, then I will because God will be victorious. He doesn't go out there and say, I'm a great shot. I'll wear this armor well. He says, I'm going to serve. I'm going to move. I'm going to pursue after God and have faith and trust in him. How important is a foundation? Satan systematically destroys Isaac and Jacob's homes as if it wasn't really any trouble at all. Barely an inconvenience. And he knew it wouldn't be. Why? Because like Simon Peter, we take our eyes off the Lord in the middle of a storm. Like Simon Peter, when the wind starts to blow and it gets a little cold and wet, we forget what we went for. We forget who we were pursuing. We forget why we're even there. 
Cracks were found in their foundation and exploited. I want to ask again, how is it within your homes? Is your foundation sure? Well, the clay around here just shifts constantly. I don't know that there's a better picture. If your foundation, if your home was built on that kind of foundation, be prepared to prop your home up over and over and over again. Be prepared to get in that crawl space and get dirty and find the weakness in your foundation over and over and over again. But Christ Jesus doesn't shift. He is immutable. He does not change. He does not give in or give way. Praise the Lord, we are not the foundation. We do not see polygamy in this fashion here in the West, but understand it still exists. If we understand what the Bible says about divorce, polygamy still exists. And it's a shame. Repent. Repent. I've never met anyone involved with a divorce for any reason whatsoever that hasn't been brutally hurt by those they trusted most. This isn't a personal attack to anyone. It's a simple fact of history. We can look at the royal families if you'd like. Those in power that execute a divorce usually clean up their mess pretty tidily. There's your homework for tonight. What causes for us to continue to disobey? What causes for us to continue to think we'll do the same things and have a different result? What master are we serving? It might not be Laban. It might not be Rachel that sits on that throne. It might be you yourself. What makes me happy? That takes precedence. What makes me comfortable? What keeps me healthy and happy and excited and awake? Boy, that's just the, the cream of the crop. Jacob will soon find a great deal of trouble has come upon him. He doesn't even at this point really understand just how bad it's going to get. But uh, he, he goes running before we even get into the next chapter. You're going to see some of the trouble he runs into. His marriage life, in fact, was now very, very similar to his brother Esau's, interestingly enough. As you recall, when Isaac revealed, and, and it's really heartbreaking because it seems to be the only time Isaac ever really said anything about marriage and the value of a wife, Esau, this is before Jacob left, mind you, Esau almost immediately runs out and gets married again because of hearing his father's words. It meant that much to him to try and please his father, to try and rectify the situation. We'll do one more thing. Well, what is one more sin to a, a list of sins? It's just more sin. Repent. Jacob did so to please his father-in-law, his new master, Laban. May the Lord reveal unto us those masters that we've given ourselves over to. May he equip us to walk away, to run away if need be. It is one of Jacob's sons, after all, that runs away from Potiphar's wife, leaving everything behind. Sometimes running away means bankruptcy. Sometimes running away means heartache. Not able to look other human beings in the eye. I'd rather look God in the eye when the day comes than look another human being in the eye. Beloved, harbor no, no unforgiveness. Serve no false gods. Repent today for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.